0: our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.
1: This is episode 380 of JumbleThink. T minus 10,
2: 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2,
1: 1. Welcome to JumbleThink, where we interview dreamers, makers, innovators, and influencers all about their journey of turning dreams and ideas into reality. Along the way, we're going to share some tips on how you can turn your own dreams and ideas into reality, too. Our guest on today's show is MBA great Bill Cartwright. More about Bill in a moment. Whether you're a new listener or a longtime fan, if you've never subscribed to Jumblethink, now's the time to do it. Head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts, search for Jumblethink, and click subscribe. To make it even easier, if you head on over to jumblethink.com, you'll find links to Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and more. So never miss an episode of Jumblethink and go subscribe to the show now. Now let's jump into today's conversation. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Jumblethink. My name is Michael Woodward. I am your host, and we have an incredible conversation with NBA great Bill Cartwright coming up in a moment. But before we dive into that, I wanted to give you an update, especially for you who have been listening for a long time here at JumbleThink. Back in 2017, we started the podcast, and it's been an incredible journey. I've gotten the opportunity to talk to some incredible guests, I've been able to connect with some amazing listeners, and it's been a lot of fun. But what most people don't realize is that back when I started this in 2017, the podcast in audio format was never the dream. It was an idea on how to get to the dream. The dream was to do these shows, these conversations, and interviews in person on video. I'm excited to announce that we are getting ready to launch the first steps into that adventure. Now, the audio podcast isn't going away, but I wanted to make sure that you knew how to connect with the video format as we roll it out in the weeks to come. It is super easy. All you have to do is head on over to jumblethink.com slash video. That's jumblethink.com slash video, and it will take you right to the Jumblethink YouTube channel. When you get there for right now, you'll see a lot of audio content there, just like you do in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. But in the next couple of weeks, you'll stop seeing audio and you'll start seeing video. Now, if you love the show in audio format for your drives or for listening while you work, you can still find those on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and all the usual suspects for podcasting. But with the addition of video, I think you're going to really enjoy some special things we have planned for stepping up our game and making the podcast even better, making it truly what I had dreamed to do in the beginning. I'm excited about this journey, and I hope you will join us in this, this new step, this new journey into the world of JumbleThink Video. So don't miss a thing. Head on over to jumblethinkcom video and subscribe and turn that little bell alert on so that you'll catch every new Jumbothink interview in the amazing format of video. Today's show is pretty special to me. I'm sitting down with MBA great Bill Cartwright. I was born in 1981 and as a child of the 80s and early 90s, If you're like me, you probably remember there wasn't a lot going on. The internet didn't exist like it does today. There wasn't the amount of content that exists today. There wasn't a lot to do for a kid. But that made the time very special. Some of my favorite things to do growing up were riding bicycles and playing basketball. We had a great little basketball court set up in the backyard behind my parents' house, and I would just go out there and shoot basketball for hours on end. Of course, when I wasn't playing outside, one of my favorite pastimes was to watch basketball on TV. In the 80s, that meant tuning into the L.A. Lakers and Magic Johnson, one of my favorite players of all times, or watching the Celtics and Larry Bird. Of course, in the early 90s, that all changed with the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons and the rivalry there. All of us kids, especially the ones I knew, we fell in love with Michael Jordan and just the magic he brought to the basketball team. Now, a part of that team was a guy named Bill Cartwright. He was a center for the Chicago Bulls. He was an incredible player. He was an incredible coach. And beyond that, he's just an all-around nice guy. I'm super excited to have today's guest, Bill Cartwright, on the show. So let's go ahead and join the conversation we had with Bill Cartwright. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on Jumble Think. I am very pleased to be here. I was a Bulls fan. I was a Michael Jordan fan. I was a uh, the team fan, Scottie Pippen, everyone. So it is a massive honor to have you on the show. Well, I came along
2: at a really interesting time because my um I was drafted in 7980. Uh had the Magic Johnson uh, draft. He was the first pick of the draft. David Greenwood, interesting, was second pick in the draft. I was a third pick, but out of that uh, draft. What's this other guy by the name of Larry Bird? Yeah. So those guys really set the foundation of our league. Uh, things that were really positive. Team basketball, um, rivalries. Uh so many things were made out of out of those two guys and in, in coming into the league. So um, because if you remember our league before, we're really aggressive.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, there were some drug issues in our league. Yeah, uh, that really remained through the eighties. Uh, but uh, the start of really positive things happened uh, happened then. So it was it was special.
1: You watch ESPN and they have the classic basketball games on. And, and, and there really was a shift during the 80s and 90s of what basketball meant to our culture, what it meant as a sport. Being a part of that, being a part of the transitional years where the NBA became just this massive powerhouse in, in culture and society, what was it like to be in that environment, to play at that level, to be a part of, of coaching changes, of, of player changes, and how the game was approached?
2: Well, it was a little bit different than it is now. Just that we talked about player wise, is that if guys went to a team like I played for the Knicks for nine years, yeah, um, even though I'm really noted for being a ball, even though I was there for six yeah. years. But uh, but the big thing is that guys were identified with their teams. Guys didn't jump around. Coaches didn't jump around. Um, that was your team, and also your team had an identity. Mm-hmm. to where you were a defensive team. You know, Lakers, of course, were always showtime. Teams like them, Denver, Phoenix, those teams were scoring. So, so you had an identity that was really relatable to where you lived. We mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're Chicago, you're a defensive team. You're tough, just like the business, just like Philly, just like New York. They're chanting in the stands. They're telling you, you know, this is who we are. Now, man, we don't really know who the hell as the teams are now. They just kind of just run up and down the floor, and really playing the same style of basketball, which is interesting. Um, you know, really try to get into that. Just try to watch it, but it's just a changing at the guard of um, the representing of the cities, who they are, uh, who the teams are. Everybody knows them because they've been there so long. You feel like they're part of your family, so. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit different.
1: Now you, you mentioned that you played with the New York Knicks from 79 to 88. You played with the Chicago Bulls, 88 to 94, Seattle Supersonics, 94, 95. You coached several teams and, and you mentioned that identity of it, it was a family. It was a culture. Which of those teams did you feel like this was my family who I most, uh, felt like it fell in as as a team, as a player. The, the Bulls were magic, but was that the home for you?
2: Well, sure, because um, think about it. It was the same ownership group, the same uh, GM and his assistants, basically the same coaching staff, and basically the same core players for those six years, um, which, which is why they were pretty good. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it was very stabilized, uh, we're very successful, won a boatload of games, as you know, won a few championships, chips, which is, uh, always your ultimate goal, but yeah, just for a stabilizing force of what your family is and what they're supposed to be and who you represent, and luckily Chicago's a great city. And even while we were there I think about this is that the culture of the city changed uh, it, it happened the first time when the Bears won a championship
1: yeah
2: and the second and really the second time when we won a championship because uh, Chicago was known for something other than shooting people up. yeah so just really uh, just really really positive and uh, it just uh, it just gave people really something Uh, great to uh, to view and watch and relate to.
1: One of the things that really surprised me is as I did research, as I listened to other interviews, as I looked back at games, was that uh, Phil Jackson, who is known as one of the great coaches of all time, both in Chicago but also L.A., he played for the New York Knicks up until 78. You came in at 79. And then you go and play for him at, at uh, the, the for Chicago as as a player. Did you know Phil prior to coming to Chicago? Did you know his reputation? Like, what were the things you were hearing when you're playing for the Knicks from this guy who is a player now he's becoming a coach? Well, uh, it's interesting.
2: Doug Collins and Phil Jackson, I played against them both. Yeah. yeah, they both coached in Chicago. So I first, well, of course, you know, being a basketball guy, I knew up Phil. And Phil was actually, when he was younger, played baseball, played basketball, uh, aggressive player, so yeah, you know who they are. And Phil later in his career wanted to coach and let that be known. So, of course, we would never know that he would end up with the Bulls and uh, and winning the championship. What I should note. Is that the real genius and, and, and think about how this would happen in Chicago? So Jerry Reinstorp, the owner, mm-hmm. hired Jerry Krause, who was a baseball guy, to yeah. be the general manager and president of uh of the Chicago Bulls. Bizarre. But it turns out to be great vision. And then along with that, when um Jerry's hired, he hires Tex Winner. And he hires Al Vanille. And Albert Mill was a strength and conditioning coach at that time. The only strength and conditioning coach to win a NFL uh, um, Major League Baseball and NBA championship. So he's like the godfather uh, of training. And then also, along with that, he hired Phil Jackson. As Doug Collins' assistant coach, which is brilliant. Phil's in the the D-League hanging out down there. Uh, Anybody could have hired him, but this guy had great vision. So uh, to be able to do that, along with hiring everybody, and I mean every single person in that organization and on our team except for Michael Jordan, uh, is short of brilliant. So that was our foundation of this guy, to allow Phil to do what he did. To allow the players that uh, that we got to do what they did, Uh, but that all started with Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause.
1: Yeah, and towards so Doug Collins is replaced by Phil Jackson, and and Phil Jackson changes some of the philosophies. You even say that that the triangle offense wasn't really from Doug or from Phil, that was actually from Jerry Krause. So how did that, it, 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 that system was a system that had been around for years, but it was a system that seemed to really work for the Bulls. And it, But it wasn't the coach that seemed to, to bring that to the forefront. How did that all happen?
2: Well, that happened with the hiring of Dex from Jerry, and then having f- Phil having the vision to actually allow Tex to incorporate that offense, and it was something that Tex created, <laughs> and it was all around offense, um, not not traditional. Except that you didn't you didn't call plays. Uh, you just played. You just played out of the system. And it took, I got to tell you, it took a little bit for guys to. Uh, get used to it. But uh, I I can remember, I I think we played a game out West, and I think against Denver, and we carved them up. And then after that game, it was like, yeah, yeah, this offense is, is really, really good. And along with that, what I should note is that the Chicago Bulls, as I mentioned earlier, we are a defensive team. That's basketball games hey look uh it's important to have great offense but the reason we were able to win is because we can guard make it really tough for our opponent to score in particular late and also and yeah, think about this we played 10 guys so we had a lot of guys to play so we really had two teams out there uh, I call that they were our second group of starters they were not only able to keep the lead, maintain it, and a lot of times extend it. So we had a lot of guys who were really great basketball players. and uh, um, We had a full team of guys who were really good.
1: Now, when the Bulls first came together in the the, the years leading up to the three national championships, it was a young team. And a lot of players, you, you were the veteran on the team. You had the, the court time where a lot of the players coming, even including Michael Jordan, they were fresh to the NBA. How did the team really come together in such a way so quickly to be able to create a championship team with uh, a bunch of people who didn't look on paper like the the biggest stars in the world when it came to being so new to the league so new to the system so new to this kind of level, level of competition
2: well uh it took time <laughs> you know we got there at <laughs> eight and it did take us two years to overcome the dreaded distance uh which which is very very normal but after we uh were able to physically, mentally overcome that challenge. Uh, we won a lot of basketball games, so we figured out a lot of things in really a short period of time with a blended uh, group of that were young and uh, and veteran team. And yeah, I, I was the old guy. I think I was what like thirty-two or three. So I was, <laughs> I was pretty much the old guy on the block. It was great, but. You know, we uh, we just had a great system, and I just think we were really prepared. And, you know, a big part of winning, uh, because in, individually, when you're really young, you want to come in. Of course, everybody wants to play 48 minutes. Everybody wants to score. Everybody wants to be a huge contributor to the team. But at that point in time, our goal was not that. It was to win a championship. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a great focus, um, and uh, luckily, you know, we had uh, we had the right system, we had the right uh, GM, we had the right coaches, we had the right players, and luckily enough, we had the uh, best player in the league. Also, which yeah. also
1: helps. There are a lot of teams that have great general managers, great owners, great players, great coaches that never really seem to click for some reason. You say that excellence is measured in inches. I I love that quote. I think it's just a powerful representation. What does it take to go from, we've got all the right players, we've got great coaching, we've got great owners, great management, to actually become an excellent organization?
2: I think that what happened in Chicago uh, was special. And and I don't think that, I, I think that people think similarly as opposed to, our organization, what we thought differently. And I think that's a big part of the winning too, is that nobody else was running what we were running. Our GM didn't care particularly about what anybody else thought. Uh, it was pretty, as our owner, You know, that we were different thinkers. And I think that's what really made the difference, is that we didn't care what others thought. We cared about what we were doing, about what our goals were. And luckily, we had enough talent to back it up. So uh, I think that is a good lesson for, especially for what's going on now, where you turn on a basketball game and you'll see guys run an offense and you'll turn the next game on. It's like, hey, didn't I just watch this game? (laughs) (laughs) They're running the same offense. So, um, you know, years ago, your offense and maybe your defense were uniquely yours. Now it's a um, it's it, it's kind of all the same stuff and that what people deem are successful now and it's it's an interesting mindset. I'll watch it. I don't like the technical no part because I don't think it's very good. But uh, but 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 I do love the fact that the guys are more athletic now. Uh, they make more sensational plays. Uh, but the basic basketball stuff No. Yeah. No, it just, it just
1: doesn't work for me We'll be right back to continue our conversation With today's guest, Bill Cartwright Chasing dreams and ideas is overwhelming It's hard to do Where do you start? How do you know if your dream or ideas worth chasing? Will you like doing it? Here at JumbleThink, we wanted to help, and that's why we created the free Dreamer's Guide to Micro Experiments. This five-step process is an easy tool you can use over a day, a week, or even a month to begin the process of turning those dreams and ideas into reality. Best of all, it's completely free, and all you have to do to get it is head on over to JumbleThink.com and click the little pop-up that says Download Your Free Guide Now. Start the process of turning those dreams into reality. Head on over to JumbleThink.com, Now let's jump back into today's conversation with Bill Cartwright. Everyone that loves basketball, for the most part, saw The Last Dance, which of course was highlighting uh, Michael Jordan. And there's a lot of perception on what the team dynamics were, how the team operated Growing up as a kid watching the Bulls, I, I can vividly think of riding my bike around the neighborhood, coming home, walking down to the basement, turning on the TV, watching the games, and and there was this larger-than-life Michael Jordan persona that we all saw and we all bought into, and, and The Last Dance showed a lot of the dynamics behind and a lot of the conversation about dynamics between team members. I'm, I'm sure that there comes a point in which you're kind of just like ah, another Michael Jordan question, but what was the dynamics like from your perspective?
2: Well, it was none of that garbage you watched. <laughs> 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 so, you know, we've talked about, you know, the fact that we had a great GM, great owner, GM coach. And what you saw was one person's basically a journey to win a championship and you know basically it was all 14 guys coaches gm working together to win a championship and uh for me it was it was humor because uh a lot of things were said i didn't see them even though i was there it was a good it was great humor uh, <laughs> a lot of my teammates didn't appreciate it uh they took it a little more seriously but uh When you have that kind of situation where one person basically speaking about this is what's happening, um, kind of bears out the truth, but Uh, it it would be like uh, these guys are, it's during the season, these guys are playing golf and smoking cigars and drinking during the playoffs. Uh, No, that's not really what we do. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, the episode about where you got sick, eating pizza at two in the morning, well, go to bed. So it's like, no, we don't really do that. We, responsible people, uh, we get ourselves ready to play a basketball game. Uh, There's a, there's a game report that decides what's going to happen during, during the game. And that's, that's basically what happens. So. Um, I think it was great entertainment. I think people got a chance to see maybe what was going on, maybe a bus, maybe some inside stuff. Uh, You could enjoy that, but the basketball. (laughs) 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 Uh, But it is what it is. And look, why take it so seriously anyway? This happened over 20 years ago.
3: Yeah.
2: So it's like, uh, what does this mean? Really, nothing. It's just, uh, it's just entertainment. You know, it's a good, uh, good, good, good reality TV.
1: So many people that you've played with, coached. Are there players that you still just feel like, wow, they were underrated because of so many large personalities that that should have gotten more credit, that should have gotten more exposure. That uh, you just look at them and and they, you look at them and say they were. Uh, on fire and people missed it
2: well that's really hard to say because you know our guys uh, maybe you talk about some of the old guys that people don't know that I played with uh, in New York um, people talk about Bernard King or they um, you know my first uh, teammate was uh, Earl Monroe I went yeah. to play, you know, play with him and Mark Webster and um, to be able to play against Juan Sánchez and Melvin Hayes and Phil and, uh you know, I got a chance to play against Artis Gilmore and Bob Lanier. Um, you know, I got caught cream at the end of his career. Um, that was that was a really big challenge. But I remember there was a guy, Mike Mitchell, who played at Cleveland, who was an incredible scorer. It's like. Told people that now. I was like, who's Mike Mitchell? So, and I played against Mike Glenn, uh, who was one of the better shooters. He went to Southern Illinois. He was a saluki. But man, that guy could really stroke it. So, it's just all those guys that people I haven't seen yeah. were really, really good. Great. Uh, I was fortunate to play against two of the better shooters ever in the NBA with Trent Tucker and um, Craig Hodges. If they still play, they'd be one of the better shooters now. But uh, if you if you didn't see them, you 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 really miss something special. So uh, our guys are great, great three point shooters, great players, great passers, great overall basketball players. There's too many to mention.
1: Now you have been successful both as a player and as a coach, and you made that transition. Coaching uh, as an assistant coach at the Bulls, again and winning more championships while you were there. Talk to us about the dynamic and how you approach the game differently as a player versus a coach, and how that did you. Were there things that you learned as a coach that you wish you would have known as a player?
2: Yes, I wish I could have coached myself, but I've been help up. You know, just, just to be able to break yourself down and uh, see, uh, really see and analyze yourself and analyze other athletes uh, uh, because guys are pretty dogmatic what they're going to do. So if I took uh, post-ups of you, I would have a great idea of what you're going to do. <laughs> And then now I can do that for myself, and then now I can train myself, and now I can kind of analyze and see what I'm going to do. What you find out as a coach, uh, believe it or not, you're, you're more tired as a coach than you are as a, as a player because you're trying to not only evaluate you know, your team, but you're trying to evaluate everything and in every way possible to to get an advantage to, to win that basketball game. So the data is extraordinarily important. And you know, also what you find has become really addictive to the fact that you just watch endless amount of tape uh, to try to gather that data and try to give yourself an edge. Uh it's it's the ultimate chess game. So it's um it's just a lot of fun. And also You know, we're being able to work with Phil and Tex and guys like Johnny Bach and then later on Jimmy Clements and then Frank Hamlin and um, that group. Wow, that's strong because that's that's a lot of basketball. That's a lot of knowledge. That's a lot of great thought going on. And um, when you have somebody tell you, this is why we're doing what we do and it makes sense strong so it's uh it's just a really great uh great atmosphere and plus phil uh fills phil, the air. you know coach being his assistant coach it was great because um it was uh just great thoughts it was really uh those guys are really gracious to one another uh really kind uh, like a family, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a fun learning atmosphere.
1: On an interview where you're talking to, uh, with Will Perdue, you were talking about load management and, uh, as a person that's played for so long, you talked about the power of knowing your body and knowing when you needed to take a break. I think whether it's in business or whether it's in sports, whether it's in family, there are a lot of people who push themselves to extremes that they can't perform really at the level that they should. And so for you, as you learned the paces and the tempo of what you did, how did you get uh, to a place where you really were feeling like you knew how the rhythms were right for you and how rest was actually better? Rest was better
2: probably at the end of the year. Um, just in the sense of when I was with the Bulls, because for one thing, it gave, uh, it gave me a break, uh, even though I, I'm, I'm not a big rest guy because I need to stay in shape uh, um, and also not only physically, but, but mentally and also contact wise, because there's a certain hardness that you have as a player to be able to to, to run into guys without it, without it, without going, ow, that hurts. So, <laughs> But what it does, it gives other guys an opportunity to get in there and play and play significant minutes uh, that you're going to need later on. And I'm a really big fan of playing a lot of different players, particularly under pressure. So so that now if somebody gets into foul trouble, your teams that are really hindered because those guys have already played. For a lot of teams during the playoffs, they actually play fewer guys. Mm where we would actually have to play more guys. So that's why you have guys like Bobby Hanson who comes out in Portland and hits a big three. Uh, Chud Bushler comes here in the playoffs. He hits a big shot during the playoffs that our guys that came off the bench made significant contributions. So uh, and I can promise you without that Portland series, we were never won. We were down by 17, 18 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And uh, that that second group of starters brought us all the way back and allowed us to win that championship. So uh, I'm just a really, really big fan of those guys. Yeah.
1: You, you've been an elite player uh, at multiple stages. You've been an elite coach. You've worked with Michael Jordan. You've worked with Shaquille O'Neal. You worked with Rodman. What sets people like you and Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal and Rodman's kind of a a whole different beast altogether, but uh, what sets uh, a good player away from an elite player, a player that just, there seems to be something special about them that they can do things that other players can't. Is it talent? Is it focus? Is it a grind or or desire to like, what is that magical sauce that brings that elite level to the top?
2: Well, there's been a lot of guys going to the league for one thing you have something that's going to give you an edge and in what you do whether it's your size whether it's your ability to score whether uh your ability to rebound you you could do something that most guys in the NBA have advanced because they can do something really well so uh and the other thing is hopefully <laughs> this is how weird. You better be on the right team mm. because uh, you can have guys who are extraordinarily talented. But uh, if your uh, coach doesn't have the same vision of, of who you are, uh, it could make it really bad. And think about this. When we got to this Rodman, uh, he was in San and you remember he had this incident on the team where everybody was upset because he took his shoes off. Yeah. During, you know, when he came off the bench, and for us, it was laughable. It's like, don't worry, you'll put it back on. <laughs> so my point is that Dennis can't play on everybody's team. Now, when we got him, we knew there was going to be some issues. Um, and then and there was, you know, I mean, he missed the practices. Uh, you know, it was late. There's a few issues. But for the most part, the guy played the game. He was amazing. So um coaches wise uh and team wise we were able to see Bassett that and, and allowed him to to be who he was. And I would say he probably had a similar situation when he was in Detroit. And they were able to manage him, but nobody else was. <laughs> yeah. So um it's just always uh you gotta be a little bit lucky, you gotta be talented, you gotta be a little lucky. And you've got to have three teammates. So we're fortunate to uh, be in all those situations. Uh, you know, it's funny when I when uh, I was with Shaq and Phoenix, that dude was awesome. He was awesome. And uh, I asked him one thing. Of course, he was a veteran. I wanted him to shoot left-handed, and, I, <laughs> and during the course of the year, he did that and he dunked it left-handed. And he's hilarious he's running down the floor looking at his left hand just like <laughs> laughing like hey I scored left hand but uh, that dude was a really really hard worker he would come back after practice and uh get some sit ups in or do whatever he had to do to get himself right for the next for the next uh next game so i i really enjoyed my time with uh with with that guy and um but but, but all those guys put time in, whether it's off the board, whether it's summertime. Uh, There's a reason why guys are as good as they are. And it's not because they've been touched by God. A lot of them have. But it's because of the work that they put in and the time they put in. Uh, that makes them great.
1: One of the things I love about you, and uh, it's not talked about enough, but is that you've had success both on and off the court. Uh, you've been married for uh, a long time to the the your, your your sweetheart growing up, and you have four kids. <laughs> you hear about players that just kind of, they don't find purpose. They don't find significance off the playing field, whatever that playing field is for them. How have you been able to continue to have outlooks of success? You also are the director of university initiatives at university of San Francisco. So you are doing other things now. How are you able to keep that momentum of, of, uh, what really matters and what's significant both on the court and off the court?
2: Uh, well, luckily, uh, you know, I found somebody that's going to put up with me. So that's 41 years. Yeah. And, um, because, you know, I do have a lot of interests and, uh, you know, and, and I always tell people this all the time. You know, it's that uh, uh, you know everybody's a pain in the ass. You know, the difference is I know I am. So uh, if you don't think you are, wake up, you are. So um, it's just understanding yourself and understanding you know what you want to do, and hopefully you have a partner that's going to allow you to do that. And, and she 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 loves you know the a domestic part of it and, uh, you know, it spent a huge amount of time with, uh, or did with our kids. And, uh, I was able to fill that gap later on. And and now we have seven grandkids, but, um, it's just, uh, you know, just very fortunate to be able to do different things. And, um, you know, we, uh, we have a restaurant in Highwood called Froggy's. Um, and I've been able to to do some other things. And fortunately enough, uh, our great president here, Father Paul Fitzgerald, allowed me to come back to USF and uh, try to share my journey with a lot of the other students. And I've been able to connect with a lot of our alumni here. Uh, And and this is a terrific, terrific place. So, uh, you know, we share a lot of the same values and thoughts of, Helping others and um, being able to participate in people's lives, so it's been it's been excellent.
1: So many championships that you've won as a coach, you won two, both with the Bulls. Three as a player. Is there a championship that stands out in your mind as like that's the one that's the most special to me?
2: Well, probably, well in the NBA, probably the first one. Because there's so much doubt around the fact that, you know, even though we overcame the dreaded Pistons, yeah. that you know, you're probably not going to win the, the uh, championship series against the Lakers because it's just not your time. And uh, and think about this. We lost, we actually lost the first game in Chicago. So, um and won the second one. And we were 1-1 going three games in L.A. Yeah. So there was a lot of doubt, but uh, and a lot of talk about there was going to be a sweep. Unfortunately, there was a sweep, <laughs> but, uh, but, but but we swept them in LA. So well, at one point, time you get to always question yourself, and there's always uh, what I like to call you know, you have a moment of truth to say, look, you know, are you giving your best effort? This is your best focus. Uh, and what are we gonna need to do to be successful. So um it's that kind of a measurement and fortunately we played, like I said, special team, special situations. We were able to uh to get that
1: done. So cool. Uh it's amazing to see how time and time again, team seems to be so important to the to the the secret sauce in that it's not just one individual. It's not just one coach. It's not just, but it's that, that secret sauce of it all together. For you, as you look back over your career and you see all of the different special moments, the highlight reel, and you go back, there's got to be some times when you look back and you see the not so highlighted reel and you go, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have been able to correct that. And you even talked about as a coach, looking back and saying, I wish I could have coached myself. What would be the lesson that you would have taught yourself, the younger self?
2: Oh, just about, well, it's something you can't do anything about. Like when I was younger, uh, I could really, really score, but I couldn't guard anybody. And it was just being able to have that knowledge. I was able to gather it, but uh, after a lot of pain, and uh, fortunately I had some great teammates with Barbara Webster and Trent Robinson to kind of guide me through it and tell me, hey, look, dude, this is how you're going to guard here. And um, and then to be able to get a scouting report on what players really do because it's like, yeah, Rob Bears is turning the right shoulder probably 90, uh, 90% of the time, uh, you know when Jack Sigmund does his move, just jump under him. So to be able to have that knowledge is extraordinarily important. And 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 the other thing is just uh, just to kind of reassure yourself you're doing the right thing. And uh, you know, there's uh, when I first started my career, I played a hundred and sixty-four straight games, and then I got hurt, being working out during the summer. I stepped on a little rock, and instead of, like you talked about, taking some time off, uh, I kept running on it, and it developed into a stress fracture. Wow. And so basically, that stress fracture, um, I got hurt in the middle of the season. I couldn't play. They diagnosed much stress fracture. I came back after doing the right thing during the summer, and first day at training camp, I shot a hook, boom. So I missed a year and a half of basketball, and that was, uh, that was a good test. I didn't want to take it, but I had
3: to
2: <laughs> yeah. be able to get through that point in time mentally because at that point in time, you're, you're a little bit discouraged. So just all those things to kind of reassure yourself, everything's fine. You're going to come back fine. It's going to work out because everybody has a different vision for you. You know, the nine years I was in New York, I had uh, four different coaches. Yeah. So that's, that's that's four different ideas of how you should be playing. And you've got to manage that somehow. And that this is what this guy wants from me. so this is what I'm going to give him. Um, luckily in Chicago, I had uh, two coaches, really, really one because Doug Doug wasn't there after the first year. So that's why the stability was so great. But, yeah, you need uh, you, you need a great mindset. You need knowledge. When you're in college, you kind of have a mentor. When you're in school, that's usually a senior to tell you what to do and how to play and how to feel or where to go. NBA, you don't have that. You're pretty much, at least at that situation, you're really on your own. You just kind of rock and roll from there. So, yeah, I would have loved to have talked to myself. I could have got a lot of big street (laughs) now.
1: Saved a lot of pain along the way, too, I'm sure.
2: A lot of pain, a lot of worry.
1: I think that's one of the weird things. You say a lot of worry, and a lot of people, when they think of professional athletes, they think of they have it all figured out, or... They know exactly what they're doing. They, they've they been playing this all their life. They know exactly how to play the game. To hear somebody who plays at a high level say, I had worry, I think that would be shocking to some people.
2: No, there's always worry because there's always uh, there's always doubters out there telling you what you can't do. And actually, those people should be ignored. But it's, it's, it's kind of a likeness on you where, uh it's it's really high end. You have a lot of people depending on you. Uh not only you know yourself, you have your family, you have your friends. And then now if you represent the city of Chicago, you got the entire city of Chicago and every Bulls fan on the planet looking at you. So you get evaluated. I think about that your job, you get evaluated every day. Every day and it's in the paper. Yeah. So that 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 evaluation could be really, really good or it can be really bad. So it's just kind of how you handle that. And even in that, you've got to figure out how to handle yourself and try to keep yourself balanced because uh you know I've had great days, I've had lousy days, and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So you've got to just keep that balance. We know you're not that good, and we know you're not that bad. <laughs> yeah. So just stay, stay balance <laughs> and uh, just work your, work your butt off, and everything's going to be
1: fine. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, it is Rapid Fire Questions. In the weeks to come, we have some incredible conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss a thing. So head on over to jumblethink.com where you can find links to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and also subscribe to the show to make sure you never miss one of these great conversations.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
4: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now let's jump into rapid fire questions.
1: As we move towards the end of the conversation, we always do some rapid fire questions. The first one being, for you, how do you define success?
2: I've got success. I've got a great family. I've got great kids. You know, fortunately, I was blessed with great parents. So, you know, my dad, who probably earned maybe, I don't think he earned 30 grand during the course of the year that he's successful because uh, I love being around him and he uh, brings me so much positive energy. So, uh, yeah, man, yeah, that's about it.
1: What is one book you think every dreamer should read?
2: I don't think that, now this is going to sound weird. Stop stop reading books. Write a book. Write a book about your journey and what you want to do and who you want to be and what the possibilities are. I'm a pretty harsh critic of books because it either goes one of two ways. They either have a great start or a bad ending or a bad start and a good ending. And um, um, I I just think that once people realize there's a book in you, it's about yourself, it's about your family, it's about your journey. I think that that, that that's going to be a great book.
1: So we love talking to people who have ideas and dreams, things they're reaching for. If somebody has a big idea and dream and they don't know where to start, maybe it's in basketball, maybe it's in business, maybe it's outside of that. What would you tell them to do to start?
2: I think that's a really hard question because let me tell you a story. When I was a a freshman at USF, I I had an awakening because (laughs) I had a conversation with these two guys and I would tell this story. And we don't talk, but they were two little guys. And these guys start talking about being corporate CEOs and owning their own businesses. And I was thinking, are you freaking kidding me? These guys, those guys are going to be CEOs of companies. I, so I was like, and those guys can have their own business to be a CEO, than I can. And I think that that's more to the point of the fact that you're not bounded by anything. I think there's more people bounded by their own thoughts. Yeah. Now, whether they're, uh, they can work in the states, they can work internationally, they're bounded in what they can they can be and what they can do, then thinking about what they're going to do. So, it's just to be unbounded, shoot for the moon, land on a star, uh, you can do it. Now let's, now let's get to work.
1: Yeah. What's one trend you're currently excited about?
2: trend I'm excited about is... Everybody loves tech. Yeah, I love. I love the fact that it's just so weird because I'm not a Facebook guy,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I do love the fact that I can communicate with somebody face to face
3: and
2: have a great conversation. Whether they're, I just talked to a guy from uh, from uh, from Paris we had a great basketball conversation so i i really love communication and to be able to stay in contact and uh during the uh, pandemic i was able to you know i i have six sisters to be able to stay in touch with them and just everything so um yeah the uh the ability to to stay in contact to stay close even though you're not
1: as we wrap up, we always close with this final rapid-fire question, which is, what is one dream you're still wanting to fulfill in your own life?
2: Well, uh, I, I still love coaching basketball. And I have this vision of, of going back to that. But inside of that, i have always said that wherever I've been, I've been led there, whether it's uh, playing basketball in high school, when I went to USF. I was kind of led there by whatever decision. Or another, I got drafted by the Knicks. I got traded to Chicago. I went to the Sonics. I went back to um, USF and his grad school it was in Sacramento. I got I got led back to Chicago to coach. I wasn't looking to coach, but uh, Jerry Cross uh, basically uh, talked me into that. I got talked into going to. Uh, Jersey. I got talked into going to Phoenix. I came all the way back. I got talked into going to Japan to coach. Uh the same thing happened with the Mexican national team. I came all the way back. And then under the circumstances, uh I'm back here at USF. So wherever I've been, I've been led there. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I really believe. So uh mm-hmm. if that's supposed to happen, uh I think it will. If not. Yeah, I don't mind being here I love San Francisco, I love USF and we'll just see kind of how that plays out
1: Bill, I really appreciate you taking time out I grew up, like I said, watching you and your team play and uh, I've always been inspired by that I've, even though I grew up in Pennsylvania, always have been a Bulls fan always will be because of you and your team, so thanks for taking time out it's, it's been an honor
2: well, thank you. I didn't know that. You know, my, my mom mom's only from Pittsburgh, so you never know. We may, we may be bonded.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Bill for taking time out and joining us here on Jumblethink. What an honor to have him on and to get to hear his stories. And I want to thank you for tuning in to today's conversation. Beyond just being grateful and Thankful that you would listen to these conversations. I hope that these conversations spark something inside of you. A a desire to see those dreams and ideas become reality. Here at JumbleThink, we believe a simple thing, that you are created for amazing things, that your dreams and ideas matter, that you matter. Now, I wish I could say that we could make all of your dreams, all of your ideas, all of your fantasies become reality, but that isn't reality. It takes hard work. It takes you stepping out. And I hope Bill's stories of his journey, his experiences, has helped inspire you on that journey. But now it's up to you. We believe you were created for something awesome, that you matter. So get out there, dream big, and change the world around you. Attirez-vous doucement, mais complètement.
2: En avant, en arrière, sur les côtés.
1: Vous êtes une autre personne. Les mères de
2: famille, les enfants. Également prendre un moment
3: revitalisant. Dans quelques mois, lorsque vous aurez bien saisi la technique et que vous serez maître de votre corps, vous pourrez vous
2: décontracter même en travaillant.